Hey, you found us. It's the Ben and Matt Sportscast. I'm Ben Glickson alongside my tag team partner, Matt Story. And I tried to be clever when we tried to record the opening just now. And about 30 seconds in, I let out a big swear word because I couldn't get yeah. the words out. So let's just dive <laughs> in, Matt. <laughs> um, the big sports news is the FBI DOJ investigation related to corruption and bribery in college basketball and the funneling of players to programs uh, through different mm-hmm. means, including paying assistant coaches to get the players there and then having those coaches get the players to then sign with different shoe sure. companies and agents. So right now it's already taken down Rick Patino, who was shocked for the second time to discover that a horrible, <laughs> horrible infraction occurred at Louisville under his watch in less uh-huh. than a year. And uh, it's got assistant coaches at U of A, Oklahoma State, Auburn, and USC. So it's both a public school and a private school thing. Um, yeah. So let's let's talk generally about it, and then I, I have a I have a question from a legal perspective about who is the victim, what makes this criminal, uh, as opposed to an yeah. NCAA violation. Right. Right. And and. Um you know, I don't know the answer to that. Honestly, that's a, that is a good question. Um, you know, and you may have, you know, more, more knowledge of, of what that all means. Um, you know, uh, it's, it's a big story that I think could get much, much bigger than it is. Um, you know, obviously the, the headline right now is Louisville and Rick Pitino. He's a, you know, hall of fame coach. Um, I think he's already in the hall of fame. I would, I would presume, um, uh, you know, and certainly deserves to be, um, but you know, you're right. Uh, you know, complete shock and, and total lack of knowledge for the second time. Uh, well, if you believe he's really a total lack of knowledge, I happen to not believe that, but even if so, even if we take him at his word, um, it shows you're an incompetent leader of the program. If you really have no idea that both of these things are going on inside your program. Absolutely. I, I think that this was one of those no win situations when they have a second major, faux pas the last one obviously being the uh apparent procurement of prostitutes for recruits uh uh, by uh an assistant coach it's to use a phrase that is common in legal briefing it strains credulity to suggest that he (laughs) did not know uh, about what was going on and and as you said the first time okay the second time what are you saying? You don't know how your yeah. program operates that that's right. You can't, you can't play that card multiple times. I mean, you, you just can't, you know, the, the, the first one was one of those that, okay, you could try to pass off that boy. This was just a rogue assistant who was doing things that I didn't know. Nobody knew this is terrible. Uh, we're totally shocked. But if, if it happens again, it's like, okay. I mean, again, even if you take him as word, that he didn't know well then it it calls into question why are you the leader of this program if you've got all these things going on and you don't know they're going on you shouldn't be the leader of the program um and again knowing coaches uh, you know in the little bit that i do um you know having been around some coaches and being a sports fan you know we we know coaching behaviors and we know they're control freaks so to us to to believe that a coach just doesn't know anything that's going on in his program it's hard to believe. And I don't. Well, and especially a coach who's been around for this long, who has been right. successful for this long. You know, right. It, right. I, I mean, it's one of those things you like don't how get that level of success without being a control freak, probably. 
Well, and, and it goes back to me to USC under Pete Carroll. And, and yeah, when Pete Carroll had left the program and then said, I'm stunned that this is what happened and that this is the fallout. From right. It. Yeah, I understand you have to say that. But are you really stunned? I mean, you, you know, right. you're there every day. You hired these coaches. Right, exactly. You recruited these players. You, yeah. You don't yeah. know how it works. No, I know. And and I think in basketball, that's the even harder thing to pass off than football. You know, football, you can kind of play the, uh, man, I got 85 scholarship kids. I got all these coaches. You know, I got to, I can't, you know, I got to trust my people to keep an eye on things. But basketball, you got, you know, 15 scholarship players. You got a handful of assistant coaches. If you don't know what's going on inside your program, there really is no excuse for it. And, and I just don't believe they don't. I mean, again, you're kind of, we're talking two sides of the coin here and either one is bad. I happen to not believe that he didn't know, but if you do believe it, that's still pretty bad. Yeah. It it, it begs the question though. And I've seen this, uh, a lot of U of a people on Facebook and Twitter, and I'm sure from other schools, it's just, those are the ones that I happen to be exposed to are saying, Look, this happens at any major program that they're trying to funnel kids and trying to find a competitive advantage. And part two of that is everyone makes the argument that, you know, these coaches are acting rogue. Well, it's got to be one or the other. You can't have every major program has coaches (laughs) acting rogue. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the that's the easy button to push when you're when you're nervous and, and, you know, I mean, I am not a U of a basketball fan. If I was, I'd be nervous. Um, because this is, it's not good when your assistant coach, uh, get, you know, arrested on federal charges. That's, that's not a good thing. Uh, you can't spin it anyway, but the best way you could try to spin it is, Oh, this guy was just, he was just out on his own. Nobody else knew about it. Nothing to hear. Don't worry. Everything's fine. And he was, he's just a bad, bad guy. We're exercising the demon. Do I believe that? Not for a second. We've already seen the axe fall on one athletic director at Louisville. I wonder how pervasive this uh, investigation was. Where did we get yeah. to? What schools? You know, Louisville wasn't even named, and it wasn't one of their coaches no, who they was weren't. busted. But I, yeah, it, it makes you wonder how how deep and how far this investigation goes. Now, ASU oh, yeah. is an Adidas school, and you know, competitively, we've seen some advantages of that. The Kansas home and home sure. in basketball appears to be orchestrated by Adidas between two Adidas right. schools. Um, obviously, ASU has not had an NBA player in a while. So, no. you know, it's not like we're funneling guys to agents that way. But I, I'm wondering what the fallout will be for Adidas for college basketball sponsorships. I mean, this has the ability yeah. to go many different ways and spin a little out of control. <laughs> It absolutely does. Yeah, I don't think we're, we're even, you know, you use the phrase tip of the iceberg. I kind of think that's probably where we're at right now. Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot more to come out of this. I think, uh, you know, if you believe that Adidas is the only company involved in this, I think you're naive. I'm sure Nike is doing this. I'm sure Under Armour is doing this. Uh, you know, I mean, like there's no way that Adidas found some secret way to go about, you know, uh, recruiting players that the air companies have just totally in the dark about. So uh, I, I believe this is widespread. And I do agree. It is probably widespread. The, uh, you know, the argument of everybody does it, probably true. 
but that doesn't mean it's okay. And it, and it also doesn't mean that, you know, you can just sort of say, well, yeah, you're right. Everybody does it. I mean, you know, I have long been, an, you know, one to espouse that I believe players should be able to be paid. Um, and I wouldn't have a problem with it if that's where this leads down the road. But the fact of the matter is right now that's, that's against the rules. And, you know, when you get, you get caught like this, there, there should be consequences for it. There, there are two different issues here too, that I think are important. This, and Jay Billis did a a pretty good job breaking this down the day of on ESPN. Um, Uh there's NCAA issues, but then there are criminal federal charge (laughs) issues and those yeah. are two different things. Yeah. I mean, the NCAA, yeah, you know, could these schools wind up having to forfeit wins? Could they get scholarships taken away? Certainly possible. But there are individuals who are facing federal criminal charges who, you know, one of the things that happens when you get charged is you talk about other people to try to get your charges lowered. And, you know, I'm reminded of when I was in law school, I, I got to watch Sonny Vaccaro give a very long presentation about basically his mm-hmm. life and his history. And this is a guy who was instrumental in building the Nike brand. And he is the guy who cre- who basically founded AAU basketball. Right. A- and right. basketball shoe companies and amateur athletics have been pretty much inextricably linked since he started. So, yes. you know, to to say now, well, it's amazing how intertwine these things are and how much overlap there is it is it is it really that it's shocking not. You it's know? not i mean none of this should be that amazing uh, you know i hate to be cynical but you know you and i again we've talked about this over the years when there is so much money to be made in an industry and you're keeping a group of people in that industry away from the money above the table they're gonna go under the table to get it and and it's just a fact. And, you know, do I believe that it's limited to Louisville and Miami and these four schools that have their coaches get in trouble? No way. No way. I believe you could find a, a, a violation on any major college campus that you you went to if you looked hard enough. And you probably wouldn't have to look that hard. Uh, you know, it, the stories are well known of, uh, you know, boosters that give players money. Um, you know, it, it's just going to happen. And, you know, as long as there is this amateurism notion, it's going to continue to happen. There's too much money made for the group of people that are chiefly responsible for that money being made to say, I'm OK without it. I'll get mine when I go pro. No, I mean, it doesn't doesn't make sense. Their families aren't going to say that. They're not going to say that. And so they're going to get to them somehow. And right now, the only way to do it is under the table. Part of my issue, which I alluded to earlier is I understand how it's an NCAA infraction. I get it. Yeah. I'm confused about how it is a crime. And here's why. The the general standards of what they've been charged with, to my understanding, and I'll admit I haven't researched this. I didn't dig deep. I haven't seen the full mm-hmm. complaint yet or indictment yet. But this isn't a bribery to throw games allegation where you're right. harming the integrity that way. And at one point I thought maybe it's a, they're using some sort of public official angle, but USC's yeah. a private school. So their coach True. is not True. technically a public employee. The other three, I think that is a viable path that they could go down. Yeah. Yeah. I, I just, I'm trying to figure out who the victim is. Is the victim, the school is the victim, the player who didn't get paid is the victim, the opponent. <sighs> 
I, I don't I yeah. don't know who the victim well, is I, here. Yeah, I don't know. That is a good question. Um, you know, I I, uh, I I haven't dug deep on the story either. Um, I have heard some mention of the fact that I believe there's, you know, the notion that, you know, the coaches essentially were saying, you know, give me this much money to get to the player. And then it was sort of like, you know, when the, what was it? The um, uh, football officials used to, you know, sell their first class tickets and trade them down for coach, you know, like give me a hundred thousand dollars to give to this player. And you only give the player 60. So you take 40. So, I, I mean, I think that part of it is the, the bribery notion. Um, is there a victim in it? I don't know if there is, honestly, I, you know, I mean, probably not really. If we're, if we're being honest, if the player's getting paid and the coach is getting paid and the shoe company is getting the guy that they want, it's not really a victim, but you know, there are a number of crimes that get prosecuted where there are no victims. And this might be one of them. And, and I mean, don't get me wrong. I understand the NCAA infraction. It's violating the amateurism sure. clause. It's, sure. you know, funneling money in ways it's not supposed to. It's, you know, professionalizing certain things and it's violating countless recruiting rules. Um, I'm just curious. I think at this point, <clears throat> knowing only the limited amount of coverage I've seen and not having taken a deep dive, I think it's going to be a pretty high burden to clear to find the criminal aspect of this because like you said everybody who's involved in the deal seems to be okay with it and violating a regulatory thing that's non-governmental which is the ncaa rules right is not it at least i i i struggle to find how it is criminal to violate just the ncaa rules yeah Um, and it's not i mean you know i i don't believe it is obviously there's got to be more to it um, for them pursuing this. And I, you know, I, again, I can't really even speak to it with, with a lot of qualification because I haven't done enough of the research on it and I don't have the legal background on it. Um, you know, so I don't know, but, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously breaking NCAA rules that happens all the time. Um, and they're not, you know, federally prosecuted. So there's, there's more there than I guess we're realizing. I would, I would assume. You would have to think so. Um, But that's not all we have to talk about. We're going to talk about uh, football. And as we transition, I I would like to tell you that Pat Richardson has provided his week three Browns thoughts. And I'm going to read those to you now. And then we're going to do an ASU Stanford preview. And then because ASU is on a bye after this week, next week we will give a much broader state of play for college and the NFL. But yes, quickly to lighten the mood. This is from Pat Richardson. The other team was a softball no-show, so I had plenty of time to absorb brownage, and man, just absolutely no positive feelings. Even with a near comeback chance and a last-second heave, the best way to beat a bad team is to not be down three touchdowns early, with Andrew Luck's backup carving them up, exclamation point. I had so much confidence and optimism in the defense after week one, and it's non-existent now until Garrett comes back. In fact, that's the official position right now. Cleveland Browns, maybe when Miles is healthy. (laughs) So inspiring. We can beat the Bengals. <laughs> we can beat the Bengals, right? I'd say if we lose to the Bengals and the Jets, I'm modifying down to a two-win prediction. In other words, it's time to focus on Corey Kluber and the Indians. So <laughs> we are uh, we are going to check in with Pat next week. We'll be a quarter of the way through the NFL season, but that is your Pat Richardson update, and I appreciate his prompt uh, sending of his thoughts this week, and he deserves a kudos and a thumbs up as he enjoys Indians baseball and suffers through Browns football. 
That's right. That's right. And no. the Cavs are starting again soon, too. So not all is lost in Cleveland. The Dwayne Wade Cavs, no less. That's right. That's right. Yes, yes. D. Wade, Derrick Rose, LeBron. Here we go. Get get on board, 2007 sports fans. This is going to be exciting. <laughs> it would have been a lot more exciting five years ago. But they still might win the East because they got LeBron. And they don't need to win the East. They got Isaiah Thomas. They they just have, all they have to do is figure out how to work Isaiah Thomas into the rotation between True. February and April. And, and yeah. it doesn't yeah. really matter home road that they're still the, they're still going to come Agreed. out of the Eastern Conference they're, playoffs. They're still the team to beat until proven otherwise. Yeah, I agree. So there you go. We didn't even expect an NBA conversation, and you got a little right. Uh, That's right. But so Matt, ASU football traveling to the farm to take on Stanford. It is a day game. For the Sun Devils. Yeah, yeah. Be the first one of the year that uh, has kicked off in the sunlight. For Stanford, it appears they're going to go to K.J. Costello at quarterback, which they, they made the switch. Uh, Christ has been struggling and injured. Uh, so injured, Co- yeah. Costello played much of the game last week. He was impressive, uh, but... Bryce Love is really the star. So far this year, 73 carries, yeah. 787 yards, and five touchdowns. So if you're keeping track, he's averaging over 10 yards a carry to start the season. Yeah, yeah. He's been uh, uh, tremendously impressive. I mean, and, and getting some, you know, Heisman buzz. I don't know if Stanford will be good enough to get him really in that mix, especially with the early losses and the fact they play, uh, you know, a lot of late games on the West Coast. Uh, you know, so I don't know if he can really, you know, win the award, but certainly he's getting some discussion in it, uh, having a great start to the year. And, uh, you know, what they need is a is a quarterback who can keep defenses honest, and they haven't really had that early this year very much. Um, you know, now I read David Shaw has intimated that they may play Ryan Burns along with K.J. Costello if Chris isn't able to go. No idea why he would continue to go to the Ryan Burns experiment. Ryan Burns is just not very good. Um, uh, but that's David Shaw. He's conservative to the end, and it wouldn't shock me if he continues to at least get him in because he's a fifth-year senior, and so therefore he must be worthy of playing. Stanford's a lot like San Diego State, and that is our one common opponent. Um, the Aztecs yes. beat Stanford by a field goal at home. They beat us, obviously, by 10 at Sun Devil yeah. Stadium. So, you know, Stanford ha- fared better against San Diego State, but more concerning to me is how similar their offenses are. And, you know, Stanford's averaging 259 rush yards a game, and right. ASU's front four, without Crump, might actually be a little better against the run because, you know, Abe Thompson's not mm-hmm. flying past running backs. But right. it, it's still not how we drew it up for the entire off season. No, it's not, you know, and, and yeah, I mean, we, we've had tough times with Stanford over the years. Um, Todd Graham, I mean, we, if I'm not mistaken, we haven't played the last two years. They were our miss. Uh, so it's been a while, you know, we haven't, we haven't faced him in our worst defensive years, but even, you know, the first three years with Graham, we struggled with them. They beat us up pretty good. We saw that in the PAC 12 title game here. Uh, we did beat him in 2014, but that was a down year for them. Um, other than that, they've, you know, they've had success against us playing the way they play physical, run the ball, you know, slow the tempo. Um, and it's totally different from what we saw last week. We did a pretty good job against the run last week, uh, against a really good running back, but a completely different approach. 
so it will take our defense being able to adjust to that. And, and you know, they're going to make their plays. Again, it comes down to, and we'd be like last week, and limit the big plays, get them off the field on third downs, uh, you know, force a turnover or two. That's the keys to this defense. Last week, they all happened. And if they happen again, I think we got a chance to pull it off. Stanford's defense is stingy with the points. They're allowing over 450 yards a game, but, but yeah. they're only allowing 25 points a game. And that number is yeah. actually skewed a little bit because they gave up 34 to UCLA, but they put up 58. Right. And, and I think what 42 to USC, mm-hmm. um, you know, they, they have, uh, you know, they shut out rice, I believe in that first game or maybe gave up seven, uh, you know, since then they haven't been very good defensively. They have a good secondary, two good corners, although I believe um, one of them has to miss the first half because of a targeting call against UCLA. So that's an opportunity to take advantage of in the first half of the game, at least. Um, and, and, you know, their run defense has been very good. Uh, you know, USC, especially and San Diego state ran the ball on them. And, and that's surprising given that Stanford has, you know, been very good defensively over the years. They look a little vulnerable there and that's, you know, we've, we've run the ball better the last two weeks, still not dominating, but better. So again, a, a place to say there's, there's a crack of hope there that if we can, you know, run the ball the way we have, get the big plays through the passing game, and, you know, be effective enough on defense, it feels like it's a winnable game. Uh, you know, I'm not super confident, but I'm more confident than I was two weeks ago and, and even a week ago. Nikhil Harry this week got added to the Bolitnikoff Award watch list, which, you know, one of the tweets I saw, I think it was from Doug Haller, was the biggest surprise is he wasn't on it before the season yeah. started. Agreed. But, yeah. you know, it's recognizing something about, him as a player that I think Billy Napier has started to embrace as well and reinforced with Manny, which is he is the weapon. He is the guy who you just trust when you need something, go to him. And yeah, yeah. I think that that's two games. We've seen it. They've really gotten him involved early and often. I mean, he's now up to 31 catches on the year, 436 yards and three touchdowns. You know, but the the bulk of that has come in the last two games, setting career highs yeah. in back to back games, going up over uh, over three hundred yards combined in those two games. Yeah, it, yeah, it, it's been good because because I I remember saying to you after the San Diego State game that one of my many points of frustration was the fact that it seemed like we were not we were not getting much special out of him. We were just kind of you know like he was making you know three or four catches, but they were for you know six yards apiece, and like where was the where was the star ability in the last two weeks? We've seen it. Yeah, and and not to be overlooked is the contributions from the other receivers. Jalen Harvey got yeah. very active. He's sort of the unsung hero of the receiving core, but he always seems to make the play when the ball gets thrown to him. Yeah, he does. He does. And, and you know, I, I just sort of realized it in the last day or so. You know, we talked after the first game, John Humphrey had a big game. He had 100 yards. And I remember saying, you know, the, what you hope for this offense is it can be a different guy each each week. And it has. Harry's been consistently good. And every other game, we've had a different guy go over 100 yards. It was Humphrey week one, Darby week two, Kyle Williams week three, and Jalen Harvey last week. I mean, that that is exactly how you would have drawn this up before the year. That Harry's your number one guy. He's your dominant force. 
and you've got another guy every week who can step up and, and they don't know who it's going to be, you know, keeps, keeps defenses on us that, you know, could be any of these guys that could go off for five, six, seven catches for a hundred yards and a touchdown. We've got a lot of weapons there and, and we're seemingly finding different ways to use them now. The other thing that we're doing is we are sticking with the run and keeping teams honest, which, you know, you and I talked about Mike Norvell had many good traits as an offensive coordinator. It's why he's the head coach now at Memphis. But one of the things that he was quick to do was abandon the run at the first sign of trouble uh, or need for an aerial attack or right. success right. throwing the football at all. He, he would really abandon the run. And I remember that's when we started making jokes about, you know, does Demario Richard need to introduce himself to every offensive <laughs> coordinator before the yes. game? Yes. But it seems like ASU has made a commitment to a balanced attack, at least keeping people honest. And having DeMario Richard return to the feature back, certainly the salt the game away role, and maybe that's why his numbers have been down as we've had less games that needed salting away in the fourth quarter. Um, but yeah, true. He, having him in that role is comforting because, you know, he doesn't fumble. He's a bowling ball of a running back. And he makes it, you know, he makes it so that you don't want to hit him come the fourth quarter. Right. right. Yes. Uh, you know, I was I was impressed uh, with him, especially on that last drive or the, you know, the go ahead drive against Oregon. Um, you know, just getting solid gains on every time he touched the ball. Uh, you know, yeah, he's he's looked good. And I mean, I think I said this on Sunday when we talked it's probably not coincidental that the running game the, the last two weeks has been markedly improved with him in there as well as Balazs. It just gives us a, a one-two punch that we didn't really have when he wasn't playing the first two weeks, basically. I mean, I know he played game one, but barely, and he missed game two. Um, you know, having him in there is, is helpful, and he looks healthy. He wasn't really healthy last year, apparently had some injuries that we didn't know much about, and he started the year injured, but good to see him back looking like the player of old shifting gears um you know whenever we talk about the running backs it it leads me to want to talk about the pulling red shirts off of guys yeah and and we're getting a report this week from doug haller and others that asu is expected to take the red shirt off of curtis hodges a local wide receiver product who's six foot seven and considered to be a good red zone threat just because of his size but Mm-hmm. ASU has been very good in the red zone. I don't know that we need to, yeah. to pull a guy's red shirt in week four I'm or week sure five. Rather. Yeah. Um, week five. I mean, the season's already a third over and I know that, I mean, that still leaves two thirds of the season. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to act like, well, the season's over already, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know about that either. I, I kind of, you know, have some hesitancy that as well. I mean, we, we just walked through, Four different receivers who had 100-yard games yeah. this year? Five different receivers who and had 100-yard uh, yeah, games? Harry, yeah. I mean, yeah. we didn't even include Harry. Yeah. So had five different guys go for six total 100-yard games. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't know that we really need help at that spot. Now, I mean, look, if, uh, you know, it comes down to if he can catch two touchdowns in a game, I mean, those, those are his only two catches, and they help us win a game by four points, then it was worth it. You know, it, it, it definitely was. But – um, you know, I, I just don't know. Yeah. I, I, I just see guys get their year wasted and we're on track to doing that with more than just him, um, with not playing. I mean, we've talked about the running backs from week one 
we're barely seeing them. I think Eno Benjamin was on the field for like two snaps last week, and I don't know if uh, Smith played at all, except for special teams. Hey. So, I mean, we're we're on track to be doing that with several players. It's one of those things where, and we'll never know this unless a player tells somebody, um, but this is the sort of thing that makes me think he must have promised them he wouldn't redshirt them. And it was a way Probably. that he got them to commit here was he promised that they would, you know, not be redshirted and would have a chance to play. But I don't know what good that does to honor that promise if then, you know, they get one opportunity um, uh, yeah. or a handful yeah. of opportunities and then they're done. Yeah, I'm, and, and maybe that's it. Maybe it's also, I mean, you know, we joked about it. Um, you know, is there a notion of him thinking, hey, I got to I got to use all my chips this year because I may not get it next year. Coach's mentality might be different in year one and two than it is in year six when you've had two losing seasons in a row and you're thinking, well, you know, what am I saving this kid for? I mean, I, I think I said to you at one point, you know, well, we're, we're burning these kids years for the next coach. Um, and he may think thinking the same thing. So perhaps that's part of it. Uh, you, you'd rather it not be, but I don't know. Um, you know, it, everything feels better after a win, but we shouldn't lose sight of the things like that that, you know, are still concerns. It could become even bigger concerns if we start losing again. Uh, you know, and then you start wondering, well, why did we waste these kids' years if they're not going to play? Agree. I mean, some of the freshmen we knew were going to play, and it it makes sense. I mean, they the amount they talked up Evan Fields, I'm surprised that the first time I saw him on the you know on a major contribution was recovering that onside's kick this week. But right, you sort of figured he would play. You knew Benjamin would get his red shirt pulled, although the way the way he wasn't used while Richard was out really makes me question why that happened because they're not using him on special teams. It seems like they're protecting him, which is fine, but then use him in the running game, spell guys, you know, find a package for him, something. Right. Right. I know. I mean, um, you know, it's, it was at the point last week when he got in, you know, I saw, I think it was a, a throw, kind of a throwaway, but it was an attempted screen pass to number three on offense and I'm thinking who is number three on offense and then I realized oh wait that's Eno Benjamin we just don't see it very much so uh yeah I I'm disappointed by that aspect um I continue to say that I hope if the sea does slip away from us um as I still think it will in terms of you know winning the Pac-12 or anything like that I you know I think that goal is going to be shot probably within the next three to four weeks um, that you want to see these guys more. I'm not saying you should bench Demario Richard and Kalen Bellage and not let them touch the ball, but uh, rather than them t- having you know 15, 20 carries each, let's cut it to 10 and give those carries to these younger guys because you might as well. I absolutely agree with that. It, I think this game, I mean, Stanford's favored by 16, and if we are down yeah. by you know 10 at the end of the first half and down by 17 at the end of the third quarter – I hope in the fourth quarter you see Traylon Smith and Eno Benjamin. Yeah. And if we are going to pull the red shirt off of Curtis Hodges, I hope he's running every pattern. Uh, right. Because. Right. No, I agree. Yeah. You might as well make it worthwhile. Yeah. And, and on the defensive side of the ball, you know, it, it's a little different. It's gotten a little better. You know, Shannon Foreman is playing a lot more in yeah. the D-line rotation. The, the one thing that they'll never admit, I'm sure, and say it was always part of the plan, but the Karan Crump injury – 
appeared to have freed up the D-line rotation so that we're not just playing the yes. same four guys. Yes, yes. Yeah, which is good, you know, and, and maybe it would have happened anyway uh, when you start playing teams that have, you know, much more pace to what they do. Texas Tech, I mean, he got hurt early against Texas Tech, and then obviously he missed the entire Oregon game, and he's probably going to miss the rest of the year, I'm assuming. Um, you know, so we didn't really get to see this this approach against a fast paced team and see how it would be. But yeah, it's, it's good. I mean, you know, again, I, I never, I never was arguing that, you know, our starters should only be out there for 30% of the snaps, certainly for your starters for a reason, but a hundred percent too much. You know, you, you got to find a, a good balance. And I don't think we had that the first two weeks. Yeah. I was thinking about this with all of the hype that Wicker has received and then Smallwood and Crump are both seniors. I, there, and I, actually, is Latu, Latu might be a senior, too. Um, I think he is, yeah. You know, you're, you're potentially looking at replacing the entire starting defensive line from week one of this season yes, to week one are. of next season. I, I think that you need to be mindful of that and start working more towards George Lee, Shannon yeah. Foreman, playing in, in important plays and important series because Agreed. these are going to be the guys yeah. moving yeah. forward. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's always a hard balance um, in a season that, you know, kind of slips away and it hasn't yet. I don't I don't want to say it has. I mean, two and two, one and oh in the Pac-12. Nothing's off the table yet. Um, but, you know, it's probably gonna and, and a hard balance to determine how much do you stick with your, you know, your veteran guys that can still help you win games, even if those wins aren't going to win you a conference title or anything like that. Or go to your younger guys. We as fans always tend to think go to the younger guys. Coaches think the opposite, and and it's a delicate balance there that you know it's it's hard to get the right mix. Yeah, I mean, and look, they they know what they're doing. There's a reason why these guys get paid. Sure, <laughs> um, sure. But you do wonder: will there come a time this year where it makes sense to play those guys more? Uh, yeah, and and I believe if you're two and six, which is still on the board as a possibility, that is the time. You know, I, again, I'm not I'm not suggesting to you know take every senior and tell them, okay, you know, you just stand on the sideline and don't even bother putting your pads on when you're not playing yet. No, but you try to work in guys more than you would have otherwise, uh, and and you know I think that is the right time to do it. Now, two and two, it's not the right time to do it. I agree. Um, before we talk about other marquee games in the Pac-12, which basically is USC, Washington State, um, yeah. let's do some predictions. I don't think we're going to lose by 16. I think that is aggressive because I just don't think Stanford – I don't think that the game they played against UCLA will be the same game that they try to play against us. Um, no, agreed. Agreed. Yeah, and, and you know, I mean – UCLA's defense is awful. Um, I do believe at this point, I feel like our defense is better than theirs. Not to say that that means much, but um, they are probably, you know, one of the worst defenses in the country so far this year. And ours has at least been passable. Yeah. So I I think that Stanford's probably going to get into the upper 30s, which is consistent with what we've allowed. So I'm going to say Stanford... 3727. Yeah, yeah, I mean I'm kind of in that same same ballpark. I would I would maybe go uh 
I don't know, 31-24, something like that. I think we'll have a chance. I, I really do. The way Stanford plays, for the most part, they don't blow a lot of teams out um, because they're just, you know, they're not built like an Oregon or, uh, you know, one of those teams that like, oh, the you know, the snowball gets rolling downhill and you just can't stop them. That's not really how they are. They like to play ball control. They, you know, they're just more conventional. Um, and I think we'll have a chance. I hope we do, uh, you know, go into the fourth quarter. But I just, uh, you know, until we win a road game, it's hard for me to pick us to win a road game. Like it's one of those you have to see it to believe it right now because our road performances of late have been so bad. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Um, so let's Now, to be fair, it was better against this tech. I mean, the competitiveness was there that wasn't there last year on the road. And so that gives me a little bit of hope, but not enough to pick a win. You know, now I hope I'm wrong like I was last week. I mean, look, they this is a, a really good test to see what what the momentum of the last six quarters is worth. It is. Um, it is. Yes. Yes. You know, because up till now, the, the last six quarters have been impressive and it, it's what you would look for and hope for from a team that's rallying um, and maybe going to do some things in the la- middle and latter half of the season. Yeah. But this is a road test against a team who is probably not going to be up a lot and just playing prevent because um, Stanford right. doesn't do that. Even if they are up a lot, their defense plays hard. That's been true, true. You know, a hallmark of theirs since Harbaugh was there. So, yeah, very true. You know, yeah. It, no, it, you know, it will be it will be interesting to see. I mean, as every game is now from here on, you know, it's kind of a you know measuring stick. Now you start to really see. Okay, we're a third of the way into the year. We know what we are, but but how good are we? How bad are we? Um, you know, this is a it's a stealable game. I said that about last week's, and we did steal it. Um, I still stand by my thought that we needed to go two and three through this stretch from Oregon to USC to have a chance because I don't know if we can win all four. It seems, it seems I'm not unlikely. Sure we can. It, it so seems I, unlikely I, that we'd get all four. Yeah. So, so I feel like we got to steal one, uh, one more. So Matt, before we go, um, USC Washington State Friday night at Washington State. Do you think that the pirate Mike Leach has a chance to pull this upset? Oh, I do. Are Definitely, you- yeah. I mean, USC's got injuries. And they haven't been overly consistent. So, yeah, I mean, I, I would say it's very much a possibility. Are you picking that? I don't really want to because I like SC and I want SC to continue to win. But if I had the, you know, gun to my head, make a pick, I'd pick Washington State. Well, I'm not going to put a gun to your head because I'm a Democrat. Okay. So that's not what we do. <laughs> um, but I, I, I – Agree with you. I'm going to take USC in our for fun picking, not any sort of life threatening pick. Right. Um, and, and I think it's going to be a good game. It'll be fun. I, I think it's on ESPN actually. So it is. Yeah. You know, a little a little nationwide Pac-12 coverage late on a Friday night. It'll be on in all the bars that yeah. people are out drinking at. So that's good. Without yeah, and a, and a big test for SC. I mean, if they get past this one. The, you know, the doors open them to run through the Pac-12. This is probably their toughest road test that they've got this year. They don't play Washington during the season. They don't play Oregon during the season. So, it, you know, they've already beaten Stanford. Uh, so, I mean, it, it seems reasonable that if they win this one, 
you know, they still go to Notre Dame, but that's out of conference. So, it, you know, the door opens for them if they win this one. Another big game on Saturday night is Clemson at Virginia Tech. The Tigers are seven and a half point favorite. That seems like a lot to me against Virginia Tech. It is a lot. Um, yeah, I don't I know. Agree. If, that, I don't know if tough, Virginia tough Tech. Place to go. I was gonna say I don't know if they're gonna win, but it's hard to go into Blacksburg and really put it on the Hokies. So I agree, and they're a good team. Yeah, I mean this will be an interesting one. Um, you know, much like I say with USC, Clemson gets past this one, the road is fairly clear ahead. They've already beaten Louisville, and if they win this, it's like, you know, you, you start to look ahead and see the road to the playoff is certainly manageable. I mean, after this, they've got, you know, Wake Forest, Syracuse, Georgia Tech, NC State, that Florida State game, which looked a lot harder uh, than it Doesn't will as be much now. now. Yeah. Uh, the in-conference bye right before Thanksgiving and South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Who that, doesn't look very good. I mean, NC yeah. State could be its challenging game for them because uh, it's on the road I believe it but, is you know even then they could afford one loss they lost one last year uh, so getting through this one with the win over Louisville the win over Auburn it's a pretty strong first month resume if they if they get this one and, and the other thing is they they're the two seed they are the two the number two team right now they have some right wiggle room and, and the ability to come back now that NC State games the first week in November so yeah. you're cutting it a little close there to take a loss that late, but if let's say they you drop are, that game, they did last year. Yeah, they lost in November last year to Pitt, and they came back from it. Uh, so it it can't happen. Uh, are there any other games? Do you want to talk about Mississippi State at Auburn? I I don't, but I'm willing to entertain it if you do. <laughs> <laughs> I'd probably pick Auburn. I think Auburn showed a little offensive life last week that we hadn't seen, and it's at home. Um, I think they're both good teams, but not great teams. So I'd go with the home team. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, I, I am continually impressed by the job that's done by Mullins at, at Mississippi State. But mm-hmm. uh, you know, th- being a top twenty-five team and a threat in the SEC is probably their destiny for this year and most years. And uh, I would say they they had kind of a come back to earth moment last week going to Georgia. They had a lot of hype after the win against LSU, and it got put down quickly. So they're in that second tier. I think it's Alabama, Georgia, and then everybody else right now in that SEC. Yeah, I agree. Wisconsin hosts Northwestern. That'll be fun. I think the Badgers will take that game. Um, I do too. It's a, look, it's a good slate of football for all of the uh, – Jewish people who are fasting and are just going to be sitting on their couch, you know, not eating or drinking. There's some good stuff to watch all day on Saturday, <laughs> Friday night to that's Saturday. Right, so, that's right. You know, I, I'm, yes, I'm excited. Miami Duke and Texas or at USC Washington State back to back. Yeah. Good games on Friday night. Yeah. So I basically, uh, I'm good. I'm covered. Uh, and I think good. everybody, even if you can eat and drink, you should probably watch some college football mixed in with it. I plan to <laughs> definitely. Uh, but we'll be back after the ASU Stanford game. We will recap it. We will talk about the NFL. We will talk about the state of play of college football. Going to try to fit in a Pat Richardson live conversation after the first quarter of the Browns season to see how he feels. And we'll probably just wind up talking about the Indians because I'm guessing that's what he really feels like talking about. 
But uh, we'll be back. We're going to have plenty of content, even though it's a bye week. And maybe we'll get some more insight on these uh, basketball criminal charges. Until next time, he's Matt. Yes. I'm Ben. It's the Ben Matt Sports Guest.